Hey everyone, how you doing? My name is Byron Drage and I'm here at Malleable Minds, the fictional studio um, where I'm recording my podcast. Fictional studio that's actually in my head because I'm actually sitting at my, my desk in my bedroom, so that's fantastic. But here at Malleable Minds, the, uh, the intention is really about making valuable strides for you and myself towards enhancing our experience of life. So really trying to you know, spread a positive message as uh, as are many people. Um, but in particular, um, I'm currently in uni um, studying psychology and I'm just passionate about learning in, in pretty much any domain, you, you name it, I'm, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to learn for it, so uh, learn from it, sorry. So um, my intention with doing this is, at least this episode, is to talk about something that I'd uh, a topic that I'd spent uh, considerable time learning in uni and how I think that it's important that um, to understand our ourself, which is which is the theme of of this podcast. It's the topic was on social psychology and personality. So there are some things that I, I learned in there that have really changed my perspective of um, just my daily life in general, but I think that there are some elements too that could be that could potentially be helpful to other people who who are interested. Um, that being said, I'm not I'm not an expert, definitely not an expert in in what I'm talking about. But I do I have like I said, I've spent um, a fair bit of time studying it, so I, I do feel pretty confident. Uh, first, I'd like to give a shout out and thank um, Nate Campbell at I'm Possible Academy for uh, motivating me to do this. Um, it's definitely something I'm interested in. I listen to heaps of podcasts, so I'm not trying to make it famous or whatever, but um, yeah, I just, I just enjoy learning. So um, yeah, so go go visit Nate at um, on Spotify. You can look up Making It Possible um, and yeah, he's got some good stuff. So uh, get into that. Um, so the, the title of this, um, at least I intend it to be a tour through the self free of value judgments. So what do I mean by, by value judgments? Firstly, is, um, is I'm going to be talking about elements of this, our self, our self-concept and, and things related to this, um, and in particular, how we, can over, how we can use this knowledge to overcome adversity. Um, but it's important that some of the points that I make to, to be free of value judgments, so free of... Um, Often when we when we have an attitude towards something, there's there's the concept, the actual the thing that we're thinking about, and then there's the emotional attachment that's that's um, linked to that attitude. And sometimes, especially in in science uh, or really anything, there can be too close of uh, of a pairing between the concept and and the judgment that you give to it. So it's important to kind of um, hear the concept, process it, and then you can sort of adapt it to how how you feel about it after that. Um, another thing, I did say it's a science. It's different to other sciences, psychology and, and social psychology in particular. Um, it's, it's not the same as, as things such as biology where there's, there's the, the levels are easily, um, easily broken down. So you could have, for example, in biology, the muscle, the cell, the chromosomes, the genes, and it keeps on going um, like that. It's different to, to social psychology. So um, some of the concepts that I say 
if you're trying to process it in varying levels of okay this this exists here and then this exists underneath that um, it may not be it may not be as simple as that so to start off uh, a tour through the self it's important to sort of um, distinguish what is the self so when people refer to self-awareness what is it that they're aware of and so so the self the self-concept um could be generally um defined as as your identity so your your sense of self your um the elements that make you who you you think yourself to be um this could also be known as a self schema and these are these are generalized um it's generalized it's it's nothing uh, overly specific and it depends on context and things that i'll unpack in a moment um it's also important to know that it's a construct so constructs are, are quite uh the, by definition they are abstract so it's for example personality it doesn't map on to the physical world per se it's it's um it's something that is clearly there is some basis for because we see different personalities um, everywhere. Uh, but it's yeah, it's important to keep that in mind. So we're not born with ourself. Uh, sorry, we are born as ourself, but we're not born with our self concept, I should say. So this this implies that we we learn about ourselves as as we go and. There are many impacts for how we form our sense of self and what how we get our self-concept. And these include, um, for example, genetics. So genetics, things such as um, hormones or, or brain structures, things that relate to the, the physical body. So um, genes, obviously. Um, there's also our, our upbringing and in particular our attachments. Um, I spent a fair bit of time in in one of my psychology classes learning about attachments and the importance of um, having secure attachments with with other people, especially when um, especially when you're younger. So, genetics attachment. We've got environment. This refers to the sort of the physical environment. So where where someone lives, the resources um, could be. Uh, aspects such as pollution or, or whatever this has this has an impact on our self-concept um, and and additionally uh, similar to environment but social interaction so this refers to um, how we how we interact with other people so our social our social element and this part is, is quite important um, for another term called uh, the looking glass self which is that we form it's it's our it's an approach that we form our self concept through the interaction with other people. So without this interaction, um, our self concept is either very limited or or non-existent. Um, I wouldn't say non-existent, but um, definitely definitely limited. Um, although some people could argue that it's non-existent. So an example of the looking glass self uh, is when if somebody says, "Oh," Yeah, you're so good at that. So this is a social interaction where somebody has provided feedback on how they perceive you and you internalize that feedback as being part of your self-concept. Um, so 
LinkedIn, LinkedIn with this, we have another theory called um, self-categorization and, and social identity theory. So it's true that we categorize ourselves in many on many different levels and, and categorization is important in how we operate in the world. So without categories, learning couldn't occur or at least would be very difficult because you're unable to distinguish between what's what one thing is and how it's distinct from something else. Um, and so there are different elements with how we categorize ourselves. Um, and these could be sort of separated broadly into four different uh, four different areas, uh, which are we categorize ourselves in terms of groups. So this could be ethnicity, religion, nationality, um, political party, anything like that. So groups, uh, we categorize ourselves in terms of our roles. So what roles do we play? It could be as as a parent, as a worker. Um, yeah, roles, so I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Then there's physical attributes, tall, short, strong, fit, tan, whatever. Um, and then there's traits and personality. So things such as being funny or introverted, talented. Um, so we see those different elements and with how we categorise ourselves. And there's also, we'll see varying levels of this. Um, so, for example, um, when you're at home, you might categorize yourself as a child or parent or grandparent if you live with grandparents or male or female or, or something along those lines. Um, if we look at a, I'm South Australian, so obviously if we look at, um, if you go interstate, you might categorize yourself as South Australian versus say Victorian. Um, so it's, you see it's dependent on the context that you're in of what category is, is um, let's say, most readily available. Um, it doesn't mean that those other categories of child, parent and, and the rest don't exist, but it's just that they're not most, uh, yeah, they're, they're not the most proximal way of, of categorizing yourself. Um, again, we could see next level, uh, for example, could be um, you go overseas and you, you identify as an Australian versus uh, New Zealand or, or Chinese or something. And then even more globally than that, you could identify as a Westerner versus, or not versus, but Westerner or, or Eastern. So we can see that the context is very important to, to how we, um, to how we categorize ourselves, um, And so before I sort of, um, well, actually, no, it, I'll, go, I'll go to the next um, area and then we'll see how this kind of links in to, to dealing with adversity. So um, the, way that we, the way that we categorize ourselves has an impact for our self-esteem. So firstly, what is self-esteem? We should define it before we move. Um, so self-esteem can be described as, as one's sense of self-worth. Um, this could be overall, like your overall self-esteem, or it could be um, impacted depending on that context and depending on um, how you categorize yourself. So, for example, if you're in a situation where you're performing a task that's that's unfamiliar to you, your self-esteem may be diminished um, 
because the sense of self-worth um, isn't as strong there. And, and self-esteem could be separated or, or has been separated by psychologists into two levels. And these include explicit self-esteem and implicit self-esteem. So as the name kind of suggests, um, explicit self-esteem refers to conscious, the conscious um, ability, the conscious awareness of one's self-esteem. And this is um, simply measured by psychologists as, as asking, um, how satisfied are you with yourself or, or things along, along those lines. And it's, um, it's a conscious effort by the individual. Perhaps a more interesting one is the implicit self-esteem, which is the subconscious. And if by psychologists, it's measured, it has to be measured indirectly because you can't ask somebody about their, what they think their implicit self-esteem would be because that would imply that they know what it is, which would mean that it's conscious and explicit. So it's quite um, genius how they, how they do this, um, which is through a, a test called the name letter test. And so for people, for, for participants who aren't approaching the, the study, knowing what we've just gone through with self-categorization, self-esteem in particular, um, what they will do is you can do this handwritten and go all the letters of the alphabet in a singular, a singular line and, or, or it'll be on a computer or whatever. Um, and for each letter, there'll be, you'll be asked to give a rating between one and four on how much you like each letter relative to others. So four being, you know, you, you really like the letter and one being not, not a whole lot. So for those that are unaware of the test, it, this seems quite a random task to do, but because they, they, because they are unaware, um, what they'll do is they'll do the rating and then put the letters um, into groups of they'll put the letters into their the, the letters and their scores into their first name um, and the letters into their and scores into their last name versus the letters that aren't in their first or last name and calculate the average score of how much they liked um, each letter. And what is shown, um, which is representing an implicit level of self-esteem to some degree, is that often people show a preference for the letters in their own name. Um, so it might seem a little bit silly or, or not valid, um, but it's, it's relatively robust. It's, it's not deterministic in the fact that it doesn't, it's not um, stating that definitely this is your implicit self-esteem, but like I said, it's relatively robust. Um, so often for most people, it's found relative consistency between the between the two the two levels high and uh, sorry um, explicit and implicit self-esteem which um, is often found to be relatively high so um, so that that generally indicates someone who's quite well adjusted but it's not necessarily the case um, it can be both low so both explicit and implicit self-esteem can be low um, which could be indicative of perhaps more um, symptoms of perhaps depression or more inclined towards depression. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't diagnose depression, but um, 
they are symptoms that that are seen with depression and it could also be um, inconsistent so it could be high explicit self-esteem and low implicit self-esteem so this um, is this is indicative of um, some insecurity um, and can be can be shown through uh, some people get defensive when they're threatened or defensive more than what you could perhaps say the context uh, would expect. Um, and this could be indicative or is likely indicative of um, a yeah, some inconsistency between between the explicit and implicit self-esteem. So what is self-esteem good for? Um, so back to self-categorization, uh, there are varying levels of how we see ourselves um, and this gives us a sense of importance to those categories. Uh, it can, like we said before, it can change depending on context um, where self-esteem can vary more specifically, but um, again, it, it can be general as well. So um, self-esteem at the level of self-esteem that we have can be said to impact our motivation to try new things and hence learn and grow. And this is um, coming more closely to, to what my intention is for, for this podcast. Um, but it's important firstly to say that self-esteem isn't, it's not the same as extroversion and introversion because introverts can, can still have high self-esteem. Um, so self-esteem can refer to our self-worth as we are, um, but also self-esteem can, can refer to who we'd like to be and our motivation to get there, which brings me to the next um, concept, which is on uh, self motives. That's what it's, it's what it's called in, in uh, social psychology. So self motives, the important part is the motives, which is how we are motivated to learn about ourselves. Um, and this can, it can be in, investigated in many ways, but in relation to self-esteem, there are, there are three elements to the, to the self motives, to the domains about how we learn to learn about ourselves. And these are self-assessment, which it refers to the motive that we have to find real or, or actual information about ourselves. And this, this involves the good and the bad. Um, and so it's clear that this is subjective and can be dependent on, on our moods. So for example, if you're, if you're in a sad mood, you're, you're trying to self, you're trying to make an assessment of, of yourself. Um, and you might find information that you, you, you believe to be real, um, that, that tells you something about yourself, um, in that moment. Um, this would be an example of, of what, uh, it's a common, common, um, a common phrase, confirmation bias. So when we're in a certain mood or where we're attending to a certain thing, information that is, um, in support of what we're thinking or feeling is more readily or more readily comes to our mind. Um, the second element is self verification. So we seek out information that is consistent with our, with our self image. And we want, we want to be consistent with our self image because it helps us, um, it helps us interact with other people. It helps other people know who we are and know what to expect. Humans are, are um, we're organisms that are, are quite well adjusted to, to making predictions about our environment. Um, 
And then we have self-enhancement, which is the motive of ourself to, to try and boost our self-esteem, to try and find the things that make, a, make us look good. Um, so this is different to self-assessment where it's, it can be the good or the bad. Um, this, this relates to, or elements of the self-motives relate to another theory, which is called self-discrepancy theory by Edward Higgins, um, which involves three components. So firstly, I would ask you, who are you? So who, who do you think that you are? Whatever comes to mind is representative of the, the first component, which is the actual self. So this is similar to self-assessment, um, which was the motive, the function of, of finding, um, looking for what your actual self is. But just asking you, your response is representative of, of what you believe your actual self to be. And then I could ask, who would you like to be? Any response that you give me will be indicative of, or any response that you think of in your own head is, is an example of the ideal self. So we have uh, our actual self, and then we have what we believe to be our, our ideal self. This is our goals, our dreams, desires. It's quite personalized. Um, and then lastly, we've got who you should be. This is known as our ought self, which is ought is a pretty unscientific um, description of it, but it's that's what it's called. It's our ought self. Um, so this is influenced by society or family or particular role models or, or things like that. So it's more generalized compared to the ideal self. Um, and these, these elements, these components of self-discrepancy theory um, are quite, I believe, to be quite uh, closely related to self-esteem um, and, and then also on the self-concept. So discrepancies between our actual self and ideal self can lead to feelings of, of disappointment and frustration, whereas discrepancies between our actual self and our ought self can lead to feelings of shame and guilt. So I think that this quite this relates to, to at least to my own personal experience of when you when you feel this sense of um, being unhappy with yourself, um, you think, oh, who do I want to be or who should I be? And the discrepancies between them, um, the emotions that you feel of those discrepancies are, are quite in line with this theory. So I do like how it um, kind of it feels quite real how how this theory is described, at least at least in my my own opinion. Um, so obviously these discrepancies can always come up, but it's yes, it is important to I could say, oh yeah, it's just important. You just got to appreciate who you are as you are, um, and that is that is a very good message. I I do I do agree with that, um, but I think it takes away some of the motivation that can be felt to want to change and to want to learn in particular. Um, so, so how do we change and, and how can we think in, in terms of, of what we've just been speaking about or what I've just been speaking about? Um, how, how can we use this to, to, to organize and guide our thoughts um, to overcome adversity? So, but this comes back to the self-categorization and um, another concept called self-complexity. So we know that there are there are many levels um, of our self-concept, and this is an advantage to know this. Um, and these levels can determine or dictate our our self-esteem. So if we use an example of 
of an adversity, um, I think this this might put it into this might make it easier to digest um, if it wasn't already. Um, so let's say let's use a, an example with sport because it's easy. So um, let's say a particular player, a football player, for example, um, had, their self concept is really really strong as as being a great player as part of a great team. So when they lose, if they, if slash when they lose a match, um, if their self-concept is really strongly tied to being a great player and that's, that's really the limits of how they can, they can, um, they can, cons- uh, they can have their self-concept in that moment, um, then then their self-concept has been threatened, and this can this can lead to a discrepancy between their actual self or who they feel they are in the moment, um, and and their ideal self. So their ideal is to be this great player that uh, presumably never loses, um, and then their actual self is not uh, representing that. So this person may feel a sense of uh, discrepancy and and feel threatened, um, their self-concept be threatened. So it goes against those self-motives of verification of being consistent, and it goes against the self-motives of, of trying to seek things that are going to enhance our self-concept. So this isn't to say that we should eliminate negative emotions, and negative emotions, are they're important um, in, in just processing in general and empathy for other people. Um, but what is important to talk about is for how long should we feel these emotions or how intensely should we feel this emotion? Um, and so this is where I, this is where the concept of what's called self-complexity, um, which is similar to categorization, but I think this is where that can help. So self-complexity is in those levels of categorization, there's, it, that that basically describes the complexity of of the different um, the, yeah the different levels. So I'll keep it relatively simple. It can get more technical than that, but I'm still trying to get my own head around it. But um, so to loosen for for that player to to loosen their ties to being a good player um, at football, for example, they could adapt their their self-categorization in that moment to being to thinking in terms of their self-concept as a good team member or even more broadly a, just a good athlete so this can help take away that sting of um when your self-concept when when that discrepancy um isn't or, or sorry when that discrepancy is is quite strong so then the question is to what degree, this at least this is what I think. To what degree do we use? Should we think um, in terms of um, other sort of self concepts that we can think of in that time to to take away that sting? Um, and this is where I kind of leave it up to you. But um, using because because using self complexities to excess um, could perhaps lead to a loss in motivation so you know you feel this threatened self-concept of what you were aiming for and if you just completely eradicate it and think about total other things you may never get better in the field of interest but at the same time if you don't have this ability to to sort of 
um, to sort of think about other elements of yourself, other other elements of your self-concept, um, other categories, then you're going to experience unnecessary suffering. So to conclude, I get perhaps that that could have just totally sound like a bunch of rambling, but um, at least for me, this has really, really, really changed um, how I view my daily life and how I how I try and uh, work through adversities. I'm obviously I'm not perfect at this. It might uh, might sound like I'm speaking down to other people, but this is actually my learning process um, at the same time. So to sort of conclude, uh, self-esteem is great when it's high, but in reality, it fluctuates all the time. So my goal today was to describe a paradigm for how to approach adversity when, um, when it inevitably arises. And so reflecting on the vast levels of your identity of how you can form your self-concept um, and all its inclusivity is, is one way to do that, in, in my opinion, or from, from what I've learned. So I hope this was beneficial for you. Thanks for listening if you got this far. And, um, yeah, good luck.